Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. Very happy to have Rishi Sharma here. Uh, Rishi, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, there's lots to tell. For 46 years old, you can imagine how, yeah, how long that's going to go. The stories, right? <laughs> I'll just give you, I'll just give you a, give you a quick summary. Um, I live in Victoria, uh, which is on on the on the territory of the Lekwungen and, and Songhees First Nation, which I've become accustomed to saying now because I do a lot of presentations in my work. Right. Which right. is uh, with uh, with the Ministry of Advanced Education and Skills Training. And I just finished an outreach and engagement uh, process with private training institutions in British Columbia. And so I go and I'm actually looking at regulations. I'm looking at um, fee changes. I'm looking at the future of private training. So that's what I'm doing for work right now. I'm a director uh, in, in, that, in that area. Moving back to uh, uh, intergovernmental relations, uh, Indigenous relations, and, and some more corporate business planning over, in, again, the Ministry of Advanced Education. Um, I have a beautiful wife, uh, three daughters, if I can remember, 12, 10, and, uh, 12, 10, and 6. One's turning oh, 7 go. in a couple weeks, yeah. Yeah, born, born in Port Alberni, up island, um, northern, northern Ireland, and then we moved down to Victoria when I was around 4 or 5. Lived in, uh, lived in Saanich, which is a, which is a district in, in Victoria, pretty, most of my life, pretty much. So the island is one of the most beautiful places in our country. Tell us a little bit. We haven't had anyone from the island yet. Tell us a bit about how that is such a special part of Canada and a special part of British Columbia. It's amazing to be living on the southern tip of Vancouver Island. Uh, Oceans all around you, uh, mountains, lakes, parks, great schools, great diversity, great restaurants. As the capital, right? We've got our legislature. You go downtown, you see the legislative building uh, right there. And I was lucky enough. We, you know, we grew up very, very humble beginnings. Uh, my parents came from India in the seventies. Uh, my dad was in Squamish with my uncle, but they've decided to move to Port Alberni and then and Victoria. Um, we lived in, you know, kind of lived in the area that wasn't really close to the ocean, but we were lucky enough. My dad, you know, moved us closer to the ocean. So if you can imagine, you know. Uh, second generation kid moving into this beautiful area i walked 15 minutes and i'm at the ocean ocean side and so i got right. to play around beaches a couple of buddies had pools i'm in heaven yeah. and so this this has been just a blessing to be able to live here um it's 20 26 degrees it was yesterday i'm camping in the backyard with the kids get on the motorcycle go for a ride down the coastline uh, my daughter woke up and i said because it's been really warm i said why don't you go outside for a second and just get some fresh air she walks back in and she goes, Dad, it's like Hawaii out there. It's like a Hawaii morning. <laughs> yeah. I was like, beautiful. Yeah. Just save me a bunch of money. We'll just yeah. stay home. Tomorrow. We don't even have to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I tell, actually, I've been, I, so the past, this past month and a half, I've actually swam in the ocean uh, at a beach here called uh, Cordova Bay Beach uh, three times already. I've been swimming already with the kids like, in, in the ocean. So it's, 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 it's fantastic. It's you sit on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you can't go wrong. They say they they say that British Columbia, like you guys, have it the best of anyone in the country because you're the most temperate climate where you are of anywhere in our country. I would say. Yeah, I I, I think yes. Um, you know, I've lived in Vancouver for a little while, and it wasn't the temperature that made me move back. It was just just the you know just the traffic and 
and the stress of just living there, right? And yeah. just the anxiety of getting getting to work it took me an hour, hour and fifteen minutes to get to work. Hour yeah. 15 minutes to get back. Yeah. And so now I'm here. It'll take maybe twenty minutes, and I'm right downtown. And I would call it kind of semi-metropolitan area. Like oh, you, for you sure. And, and a very um, like you said, there's a lot of diversity, and it. it's just it's very much that capital city vibe with the you know with the yeah metropolitan having the government industry there helps a lot as stabilizing economically too. Yeah, that's true. You know, even going through a pandemic, for example, like government is an essential service. It continues to open. So we didn't feel a lot of the hardship. Mind you, the tourism industry, you know, the cruise right. like, yes. ship industry, the tourism industry, the taxi industry decimated. Buddy of mine had a restaurant. He's lost 70% of his revenue. Yeah. Just struggling, struggling to, to get through. And, and we weren't even allowed to go in and 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 eat or, or spend our money there. So it's getting better now, but um, but on the government side, yeah, a lot of people were very safe and lucky and to have to have work. Yeah. And then absolutely. there's a couple of a couple of hospitals, uh, great infrastructure. Um, you know, as much there, there there's are there are some factors that you know uh, that kind of bring down the the reputation a little bit. Like when we talk about diversity, it is diversity, but there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of uh, how to how to say it politely. There could be a little discrimination in a lot. Oh, of yeah, I want to get into that. I want to get into that because uh, you you actually became a national news story around this when you were running. Was it was it the last election or was it one before that? Uh, last election. Yeah, the yeah. last election. So I want to get to that. But before we go into that, I want I want to hear what you love about our country. What is it about Canada that that uh, just makes you so proud to be Canadian? Um, freedom, freedom, the ability to, 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 to move ahead, the ability to strive, be yourself, um, the friendships, the, just the nature of the opportunity. Uh, my dad took me to India. Wow. I actually almost got emotional right there. When you asked me that question, that's messed up. My dad no, took I don't me think to it's India. messed up at all to, to love Canada. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that's wow. awesome. <laughs> so, like I really like, that's a powerful question. So my dad took me to India. Um, I think I was in grade, going into grade 11, grade 10, going into grade 11 and, uh, 90, God, was it 91? So we went there and he goes, I want you to travel and live the way I lived. And they, he was upper, upper class to, in his mind, he was upper class, but we're going third world, third world country that <laughs> we're traveling third world travels. Uh, people there's, there's urine running down trains. I get off the plane. There's people crapping on the, on the sidewalks. There's <laughs> right, man right. with no arms and no leg, no legs on a board, shuffling himself down the street, asking for money and people ignoring him because they don't want to give up their, their money. Kids just flying at me, asking me for dollars. And then you see these massive, beautiful homes and mansions where there's just so much wealth. And here I am in this little, little home in the courtyard and I'm sweeping um, and my dad, my dad's friend comes over and, I, and I'm, I'm sick as hell, right? I drank the water. So I've, I've lost oh, right. 20 pounds. <laughs> Stupid, it, was, it was August. First yep, of all. Yep. So I've just lost 20 pounds and I'm sitting there in you know, boxer shorts and, and a tank top, which we would wear around here. And I started sweeping. Well, first of all, I get screamed at for sweeping because I'm a higher caste Hindu oh. I'm possibly picking up a broom. So I'm getting yelled at. Then this guy comes in and he goes, who's the new servant? <laughs> my dad my dad's like holy shit that's my son it's just such a different dynamic um when i came home we flew in i got back to victoria and i remember sitting um outside my home 
uh, Hillcrest Elementary. I lived across the street from Hillcrest Elementary. Actually, I lived across the street from Steve Nash. Steve Nash and I we grew up in the same oh, street. Oh wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, we we played ball together. We babe, like his parents babysat my my daughters. I came home and I kissed, literally kissed the grass. <laughs> right, right. Home. Because I'm like, how can how can they be? How can they treat their people so poorly? And we treat our people so well. And now I realized why when I was young growing up, I was in a one bathroom home, maybe three or four bedrooms, but my dad lived there um, with my mom. There's me, my older sister, uh, three aunts, two uncles, and grandparents. Wow. All in one home. Yeah, we just dealt. We just dealt with it. To me, it was no big deal, right? That's just family. You're just, you know, you're scrambling for food, whatever it might be. That's right, thing, right? Right, right. Kids always eat last. Eldest <laughs> first. Yep, yep. And so it was. Um, so that's it. Was it was just so interesting to see the difference, and then so and then just knowing that you can actually succeed and strive in Canada. It's still like look at me. Like I, I, I was uh, like second generation. You know, right, yeah. Worked up. I was in the legislature, ended up working in the legislature as assistant legislative assistant, fought my way up to be, you know, we won, we became government, fought my way into an minister's office, chief of staff to a minister. For, I was in the, it was in the premier's office, advising yeah. the premier of the province. When my dad and them just came here. What other country, know, what other country in the world could you just come here and be working for the premier? Like You couldn't because no. we would be considered lower caste. Right. Because right. we were immigrants, right? underrepresented undesirables which we would be considered in india if you're considered undesirable you know your place right right don't ever think that you'll be working for the prime minister because you're you're a lower caste so it's it's just so different and so here i am learning of my my family's telling me how great india is and then i went to see it and then i really realized how fantastic canada is and to be able to be here and live and strive and get ahead and we've done we've done well like the family's yeah. done well. so tell us a little bit about cuz i love Actually, our aunt and uncle live with my grandma, their their daughter and son-in-law, and soon to be four kids in one home. And it's not very common for that to, you know, be, you know, our family's been here for 300 years. And that's not yeah. very common for like, you know, as, as uh, Stephen Harper once said, old stock Canadians. But I think it's one of the most beautiful things. Do you want to share a little bit about what that experience brings in terms of the enrichment of your life, living with that many family members, and why that way of living, which may seem foreign to some Canadians, is so enriching? It's it's a uh, it's a lot of love and a lot of hate. Right, right. You learn right. you learn you learn, you learn you learn politics at a very young age. Because you've got the in-laws with your mom and then my mom's sister's coming over and talking crap about my dad's family. And then my uncle's talking about, so you're, you're in your own little political environment. Right. And as much as, as much as they bicker that family, when they came together, we would have any type of uh, a wedding reception or a birthday party. The house was packed and full. Like I have the best relationships with my cousins. There's about 22 of them. Right. And we are so close. We'll call them up. We've got a WhatsApp chat now. We're always sticking together. And you just know there's comfort and there's protection. Um, and, and you feel you it's a sense of power. Right. Like yeah. Having yeah this you, family have a, around. you have a tribe. Like you, you Exactly. And it's, it's just it's, it's so good when you're down, when you may be depressed, when you may be out, out like your family will be there to support you. And they're right there. Like um, my aunt, for example, we would come home. And I'm, I didn't have that many friends back then. And as I said, I, I was different. I was brown. I had a lot of, yeah. you know, me, I had some indigenous buddies that we would hang out with, but 
I wasn't very comfortable going to mainstream or, or white people houses because I didn't really know how, how to eat, for example. Right, right, right. I'd come home and I wasn't alone. My aunt was there. My uncle was there. He'd take me to an arcade or my, my aunt and I would watch a movie. Like there was always, and in summers, my parents would send me to uh, Port Alberni to go live with my aunt and my grandparents and my grandma. And you, it's just that it's like real, true family love. Yeah. And having that opportunity, like I, I'm glad like we, so my wife and I, we developed homes. We lived in a home across the street from uh, an 18th fairway over on Bear Mountain, 6,000 square feet, uh, two basement suites. And it was just my wife and I and my dog. We had our first kid. There's three of us in there. And I was like, what are we doing here? It's you. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And it's not like I was far away from my parents or her parents. <laughs> we were only maybe 50 minutes, but we're like, not too far. <laughs> Went in, got a little bit closer, bought a smaller house. Now I've got my wife, my three daughters, myself, my friend, who I've known for 35 years, uh, Brandon. He, you know, he came into a bit of a tough time. He goes, hey, man, I need a place to live. Let's look. I go, what do you mean? Let's look. You stay with me. Right. right. So there's Brandon and his son. <laughs> We're all in this little 2,200 square foot house right now. Nice big backyard. <laughs> and it's probably just full of love. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right? He yeah. comes up. You know, we, we hang out. The guy's awesome. You know, his kids, his kids playing around. And for me, again, for me, it's normal, right? My wife, not so much. Right, right. You know, she, she, uh, she never really had that living with all the family. Um, but for me, and then people were coming over whenever they're allowed to, or with COVID restrictions, we'll go outside. Yeah, but yeah. the house is always full. Mom and dad are coming in and out. Um, so I think if people have the opportunity to, like, it's it's difficult. It's not easy. But I think the pain, the like, um, the love that you'll generate, and and the optimism and the strength of the support is better than just that little bickering or who's waiting for the washroom and that type of shit, right? right. That's yeah, mine. yeah. Those things don't matter in terms of what you the other things you described, like the feeling of a bond. I loved what you said there, where you're like, I was never alone. And yeah. you would come home, and it didn't matter that you you know maybe you felt different because you could come home and be part of that unit and 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 adults were like paying attention to you and wanted to spend time with you and stuff right like yeah. that's family like that's that's family taking care of one another i'll note that um <laughs> well that's a loaded that's a loaded statement parents were there to take care of you well they're they're there to take care of the family as a whole right as in, let's work let's get money let's succeed if the kids got to go play outside by themselves or they can't get oh, yeah, yeah. lunch or sandwich like that, don't worry about it. They're off. They're after this bigger goal. And we've now hit it. Right. So now I get to stay home and I, I make breakfast for my daughters every day. I drop them off at school. Uh, my wife and I, we, we wake them up. Either I pick them up or my wife picks them up. I'm coaching my daughter's basketball uh, team on Fridays, coach for soccer. Like my parents couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. because they were trying to succeed to get to this place where they thought they needed to be. And I'm very lucky because now, you know, we've, I've built a couple number of homes, townhouses. I've got a job in the government. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. So I, I, I can do that. Like now, now we were at a place where we're very lucky, but we still have family around. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's totally weird. Cause I, I have, um, it's strange to see all this time. Like I see my kids growing up and my parents are like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, we're, we're right. supposed to be there. And, and coaching stuff, so it's a bit awkward. Right, my right. I think they feel they feel a little bit off because they really didn't have that opportunity. And my mom and dad will mention it often. Say, well, you know, we were trying to do this, and we were trying to do that. That's why we weren't at all your games, and <laughs> right, that's why we sent right. you off to your grandpa's house in the summer. <laughs> right, right. 
huh. it's, all, it's, it's all minor, man. Like, it, again, having having that true family love around you, it's, it's pretty powerful. Oh, absolutely. So that family love and that, that foundation that you had, I, lo- I love the story of the rides in politics. I mean, I guess it's personal to me because I came from a town of like 14 houses. There was 14 houses. And then by 23, I was flying around on the prime minister's jet with him, advising him. So I want to go into a bit of this. Well, tell me your political story. Tell me how you got involved, uh, kind of what led you into it, how you ended up in the premier's office. Like, let's, let's dig into this, uh, uh, the political story. We don't have enough political stories sometimes on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got to be, <laughs> be cautious what you say too, right? Oh, true, true. <laughs> so, so I, uh, growing up in Victoria, I, I, um, I moved to Vancouver for a bit to, to go to school. I ended up, I was an iron worker. Uh, I was a trades, I was a trades person. So in Vancouver, I was an iron worker, worked in a couple of mills, you know, and, and then uh, I realized that I, I needed to come home to Victoria because Vancouver was not a safe place for uh, Indo-Canadian males at that time. Hmm. It's just as bad as you may be hearing about now. Right. With the constant deaths and, and all that type of thing. So if you're Indo-Canadian, you're going to be recruited. And there's, it, was just a, it was just a tumultuous, a dangerous world. And I was getting pulled into it. And uh, someone said, you need to go home. Otherwise, you're not going to be around much longer. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Victoria with my parents being very upset. Oh, why'd you, why'd you fail? Why didn't you go to school? Stuff like that. I was like, well, I just kind of wanted to live. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming right. home. Yep, yep. So, so I came home and I, you know, I, I was introduced to someone involved in, uh, in the opposition party. Uh, the BC Liberal Party, they were in opposition at that time. And they were aware of some of the stuff I did before I left. I used to host um, dances for youth because uh, did, we didn't want uh, our friends going into bars and stuff like that where they didn't belong, underage drinking and all that. So we would host, I would host these dances, and there'd be hundreds of, hundreds of kids, uh, friends, and I, my cousins would bounce for me. So it was a very safe environment. We'd have cops come in, look around, okay, everything's cool. And so I actually held one in a club when I got back with the same people. Oh, nice, nice. So here's, here's 300 plus 400. I'm on stage making a couple comments. Some guy walks in and he's like, who the hell's that guy? <laughs> right. Right. And I said, well, it's, he's the guy hosting the event. I had a chat with him. He goes, well, you know, we could use someone like you in politics. Um, I said, well, okay, I'm working. I was working retail or something like that. Just getting, right, my, just right, getting right. my stuff together. And so I was offered an opportunity to come actually interview for a job as an assistant legislative assistant this is in 1999 right so here i am putting the shirt and tie on after working you know, working trades for a while and the reason that they picked me was because of the organization and and just my ability to obviously deal with people which you would call now stakeholder relations or stakeholder engagement and my tech skills um because there was computers and it was just the burgeoning computer era <laughs> right where you could go right. and search things online <laughs> and so and so i went there and they're like well okay we were really interested in your resume and how you said you uh you know how to search online <laughs> I was like, <"What>? right <laughs> that's so <laughs> funny to <Wow>. hear <laughs> <laughs> and you know how to like, google you know how to google <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's six there's like six six uh people around the table all women all administrators and one senior manager and they were just just so impressed with my ability to able to find how we could find something online i had one friend and we would go to his attic and we would go on his computer and we'd mess around and we'd play games and we would search stuff online that was my training 
Right. Like, so that was it. And they were so impressed by it. <laughs> so impressed by it. So, so, and I guess, cause I worked a lot of retail and I had like, I was, I've been working since I've been 14 years old. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of experience. And so they appreciated the experience and probably someone put in a good word for me. Hey, this guy had a 300, 400 person event. Yes. Hire right. Right. Ne- not nepotism, but you know, that's how it goes. No, well, it's like, we, it's, it's recognizing talent and saying we need that talent involved in our team or we're never going to win. Exactly. Particularly because we were going towards an election in 2001. Yes. So they gave me a shot and uh, I don't think they saw anyone work harder uh, in their lives. So uh, I worked for about a year, less than a year. And then the chief of staff came up to me, chief of staff to the uh, to the opposition leader came up to me and said, look, we have to let you go. And I was like, I've been working my ass off. Like, I don't understand. Like, is, is it writing? Like, and learn more of that. Like, he goes, he goes, no, no, no. One of the MLA's cousins kid needs a job that's oh. just how politics goes son wow that was devastating wow that's devastating so and i said look i'll work for free man he goes what do you mean i go i'll work for free like I, this is where i need to be and then so he left called me back in about three weeks he goes reach we found a spot for you please come back wow. and then I worked my way up to working with one of the one of the most hope, highest profile uh, politicians ever, Christy Clark. Yep, yep. He was an MLA at that time. Uh, a guy named Barry Penner, who was one of the longest serving environment ministers, ended up being the longest serving environment ministers. And some uh, some senior MLAs, uh, Doug Simons, Kevin Kruger, and so they taught me so much. And we won we won the we won the next election because of our organization skills, and and we moved. And so the the chief of staff at that time, he brought me in. He goes, I don't know if you have the right skills on your resume. Because, but I've seen your work for a couple of years. I want to make an executive assistant. I became, I think, the youngest executive assistant in the building, working for the most senior and eldest minister in the building. <laughs> <laughs> in my, por- in my portfolio. It was hilarious. But here's well, this brown kid, right? Just a trans guy coming out of Vancouver two years out. Now I'm sitting in a minister's office, no staff, just right. the minister and myself. And it was the minister. <laughs> The Minister of State for Intermediate, Long-Term, and Home Care. Oh, wow. Know, That's one of the most intense portfolios. <laughs> it was brutal. And I got yeah. Kath, Minister, Minister Wichert, who was, who was the oldest minister at that time. Right. So right. Here's, this, here's this older white lady from North Vancouver. Here's me from Port Alberni or Victoria. <laughs> right. And, what, how, and we got along swimmingly, man. And see how I use the word swimmingly? Because she yep. taught me that word, swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> nice, 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 nice. That's not, that's not anything I, I learned it. when I was growing up. No, My mom no. and dad never said, that's swimmingly. So for people who don't know, executive assistant is essentially chief of staff to a minister in the BC context. Yes. Absolutely. Just, just and, a, I, yeah. but, and at that time, well, there was a ministerial assistant, but at that time we didn't have one. So I just kind of no. ran then, and then, so from there, I just kind of moved up to to another portfolio. Um, I went into, well, the, actually, probably, probably the most important one was climate action, the Minister of State for Climate Action. And, and that would have been during uh, when Campbell was bringing in the carbon tax, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, I, oh, that's not true. I was actually media monitoring in his office first. Oh. So, so I built a niche. Um, I love my hobby is going through news stories and current affairs because I would learn that way. Right. I would go into the library day day after day, sit in the legislative library and just read, 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 because I knew I didn't have that skill compared to some of these uh, other other colleagues that have their masters or PhD or whatever. And so I really got got the skill of grasping the media, going through it quickly, summarizing it, and setting it up. So I just started doing that for 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 staff. 
And, um, and then I got offered a job in, in the communications arm of government because they were creating a media monitoring shop. Right. And they said, is this something you'd like to do? Um, I said, oh, sure, I'll give it a shot because they liked – I had this niche that I had built of just sending up media. Right. And so I built that shop um, from ground up. Got, we had seven TVs. We had uh, six radios. I had about six staff. And in that one room, 500-square-foot room maybe, everything was on all the time. And we would transcribe stories off the radio and TV and send it over to – Wow. Real, in real time. Real so you're time. like you're one of the first like issues management shops in Canada at that level. Absolutely. Wow. And then so from there, we went into another election. And then after that, uh, the premier walked into our office and said, you know, who's doing this? Who's leading it? I want to thank you. He dropped off a big bucket of, of uh, double bubble for us. And we handed the double bubble up. And then, uh, and then someone said, look, the premier wants you to do this during the election. I oh. said, well, then I, but then what if we lose? Yeah, that's politics, right? Yep. So I took that chance. So it was a leadership. I was on the leadership team uh, right downtown Vancouver. I built a, a smaller, same media monitoring shop. I uh, had one uh, one colleague with me, and we did it for the leader uh, for the leader uh, in in the central campaign office, and we won. And I was like, "Well, this is fantastic." So then, when we came back, I was asked to create the same shop in the West Annex, which is directly in the premier's office. So here's right. the premier's office, and I was right below. And we would grind, and I was up at 5.30 summarizing stuff by 7 a.m., all the mainstream media, then doing regionals by 8, all day long monitoring. We would watch the 11 o'clock news just to make sure we wouldn't miss anything, and that was my life. Right. Just yeah. constantly, constantly. It's pretty much 24 hours uh, twenty four hours politics. So when people – when people, um, I don't think people understand – well, you would. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's difficult to understand the amount of time and passion um, and loyalty and effort you put into those types of jobs. I, I like to say that it's like uh, the, this country's politics is run on the lifeblood of the of the youth who sacrifice themselves on the altar of the ambitious. Absolutely. <laughs> right? like, yeah, and they'll use you till they can't oh, anymore. Exa- oh, they'll they'll bleed you dry. They, I mean, there's some good ones, uh, but it's not about you. You're serving a, a cause, right? It's for the better good. Yeah, yeah. It's for and, the and you have to and you have to believe that what you're doing is for the greater good. Uh, or when you're doing a job like that, because I, I was saying to Zach the other day, I'm like, I once calculated how much money I was making per hour in the prime minister's <laughs> office, and it was like <laughs> four four fifty or something. Like it was a pathetically small number. <laughs> yeah, I got down to I got down to ten bucks ten bucks an hour. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like uh, you you never you, you can't make those calculations with jobs like that because it's not about the money. Frankly, it's it's like you said, it's about the passion. It is, and it's not. And I would I would go back and do it. Well, I have three daughters. When they get old enough, if like if there was an opportunity to go back and be a chief of staff, I'd probably do it again. Yeah. Or an elected member. Sure, that's obvious. I guess that's why I tried. Well, yeah, let's but, go into that, right? Like, so tell us about uh, going from the staff because this is actually a fairly common uh, trajectory, but it's not something that's talked about a lot. Going in from like, and I think it's something that, like you said, you didn't get like the formal education or whatever, but like you got a better education in politics than anyone's ever going to get in university by, by following the media for like, you poured yourself into it. You know more. I always say this to, uh, to academics. I'm like, you could write all the books you want about this, but you have no idea how it works. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) yeah, spend, uh spend two days in my shoes in a difficult minister's office and, yeah. and you'll, you'll be crushed. Yeah. You yeah. Know where to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like yeah. You're, you're the CEO and you're managing 
so many different portfolios of files. Like I would have lists, daily lists of every single day of the things I needed to get done every day. I would have schedules that were five minute intervals and I was just so organized. And then, um, and so that, I guess, you know, like for example, the climate action, the climate action file that we had to take care of, it wasn't just, Hey, let's go introduce a carbon tax. No, no. First of all, there's politics within your party that you need to ensure that everyone's on side. So you get a vote of confidence. You have interjurisdictional conversations. You got to meet with Arnold Schwarzenegger for heaven's sakes. To get him right. on side because he was the champion at that time down in California. Yep, yep. You're managing all of this, trying to help out. And so it's it's such a difficult world. The legislative side, the issues management side, trying to be reactive. Then on that, there's the partisanship too that you've got to continue. You've got yeah. to continue on the politics while you're trying to do the you gotta keep You've got to keep convincing people that you're the good guys and that you're fighting the bad guys. <laughs> if, you, if you wholeheartedly believe what you're doing is right for the people you're serving, you will never go wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I, always, I always thought in my mind, it's what's best for British Columbians as a whole. And, and we didn't go wrong. And that's, and that's how I continue to this day. And then I went into the bureaucracy because I had my third child. So I talked to one of the deputy ministers. I got a secondment into the bureaucracy. And that was a completely different world. Oh yeah, um, that transition was very, very difficult. You know, you you're so busy as a chief of staff with all of this material, editing, introducing, you know, managing, but yet you're not really creating. So here no. I am now in the bureaucracy. I'm writing the policy documents. I'm writing yes, the briefings. Yes. And I was just like, wow, this is where it all comes from. And so I've had now five years of that experience. Like I'm drafting a report right now on private training in British Columbia. And I'm on my 20, I think I'm on my 20th page now after, you know, virtual sessions after virtual sessions, trying to get research from stakeholder engagement. And and that's real work. And that's work oh, yeah. that I sincerely appreciate. Those, those bureaucrats and public servants who are grinding away, hats off to them too, man. That's, that's not an easy job. And now, and now I've had the opportunity and blessing to learn that. Yeah, it's, that, it's like everywhere you go, actually, you get to learn something new, eh? Yeah, and I think it was there. It was actually when I was in the bureaucracy where I decided to run. Actually, I didn't decide to run. There was a seat in uh, in Victoria, in Saanich, where the BC Liberals who have maybe won once right. since its inception. And they couldn't <laughs> find a candidate, so they called me, right. hey, you want to be the candidate? I was like, no way. No, <laughs> you're like, I've worked for politicians all my life. I don't want to run. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. And then just to lose? Yeah, But then I thought about it and I thought about my family and where we came from. And what an opportunity to actually run for BC. Yes. Whatever part right. it is. And so I put my name forward and it was the best decision I've ever made. I loved it. Having events, debating, because all of yes. the knowledge you get from a staff oh, or a corruption. Yeah, you can, you can take it all in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the debates were a breeze. Yeah, yeah, you already knew all the issues. Yeah. <laughs> You've been studying yeah. them for your whole adult life. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing because they were trying to find candidates on the island to go do an environmental debate with uh, with Andrew Weaver. Yep, yep. And someone else, I'm like, send me in. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you, you weren't even supposed to run. They go, send me in. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can do this. <laughs> and uh, and it was it was great. And I, I you know I have the utmost respect for anybody. Anybody who actually puts their name for it, if you have the chance, I say I say do it municipally, provincially. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's. I've run about thirty campaigns now, and I I find that I that's the one part I don't have never been able to fully understand because I you, unless you've been in the candidate shoes, you don't realize the. Well, actually, why don't you go into that? What 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 was you most surprised by making that transition? 
the the ownership that you have to take and the responsibility. If you're a campaign manager, even you feel responsible. Like my last campaign campaign manager and strategist, awesome people. Uh, one of them is is a good friend of mine, Stephen. I yes, think he introduced yes. me to He's fantastic. Hey, don't call him a campaign manager, by the way. <laughs> I know he hates that. He hates that. He's a yeah. strategist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, you know, he kept me cool, and you need those people around you with that, with the intelligence and, and just the calmness, right? Mm-hmm. But it's my face on those signs. Yes. Yeah. And so somebody wrote, somebody wrote a bio or something and sent it off to the to the paper, and I hadn't even seen it. Oh, so it was a right. pamphlet. And they're writing about me in the in this pamphlet. I'm like, why would you do that? It's not show it to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think the difference is actually, honestly, just you are responsible for the things that you say, the things that you do, and the lens that's put on you is unreal. Yeah. You anything you may have done or I may have done in my in my teens, for example, I don't know, probably when I was in diapers, I'm going to have to apologize for. Sorry yeah. for crap diaper. I used yeah. to do that. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd learned faster. He's incontinent. He can't. <laughs> but I was too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's an unimportant detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the, in the yeah, quest for power, all details will be used yeah, against you. Right? <laughs> he saw a puke on himself. <laughs> he was one. <laughs> so that's how ridiculous. That's how ridiculous it's gotten. Oh, oh, absolutely. And so those, 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 that's that really kind of hit home. And I was like, gosh, I, I worry about my daughters. I worry about my wife. The strain on your family life is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, like everything that I, I wasn't going to run this last election, but Stephen called me up and he said, yeah, I think right, it's a good right. idea. <laughs> I was like, fine. But I was, you know, I was very happy. You know, it was in the bureaucracy. I was, life was kind of normalizing, spending right. time with my daughters and all that. And then I, then I remember running, sitting at the kitchen table, two phones going, uh, computer screen going. And, and my, I see my daughter, my six year old, six year old daughter in the corner of my eye mocking me. Making fun of me like this. Oh, daddy's on phones all day long. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, wow. I reverted right back to the guy who was the chief of staff who cared yes. nothing else. Cared, I didn't care about anything else but my job. And so it's it's difficult to, it was difficult to see and be that self-aware. I saw, I could literally see myself being being kind of an, excuse my language, kind of an asshole dad. Right. Uh, to my kids. And so that was probably the hardest thing. And that's the difference when you when you're when you're a staffer, your campaign manager, you can take that time off. True. I know how busy you may think you are. You're stressing out. You're not as busy as that as candidate, candidate. Yeah. or that person person running. And the stress level is completely different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Having, so, said, that, having speaking, said that, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which, so you, yeah. your your candidacy kind of became a, a national news story. Um, because of some uh, racist comments that were made towards you. And I want to go into that a little bit because it's not something we talk about enough, I think, as Canadians is the lived... Uh, we, we talk about racism, but I want to talk about the actual events and how you were able to turn that around to, to kind of highlight how stupid racism is. Yeah, it was uh, it was a matter of a very quick thinking. Um, one thing we forgot to do is get the license plate of the guy who came out and was screaming at us, which I really, really wish I did. Because even when this happened, I'll explain what happened. But even when it happened, there were still people who I trusted and loved. And I told the story to, they thought I made it up. Like, oh, you just did it for politics. Oh, you just did it for votes. I'm like, no. why the, why in the really? hell are you? Yeah. 
Yeah, so so we're sitting there putting up signs, election signs, and again, Stephen was there, Taylor, Taylor, a friend of mine was there. And someone just happened to drive by, his name is John Jurisic, who's another good friend, long court political. He just stopped by to see what we we're doing. So my brother and I were there, we're putting up signs. And as we're putting them up, we're banging away. This is about, I don't know, the 10th, 12th sign we're putting up. And I'm putting up signs myself because because that I wouldn't just expect someone else to do that. I'm going to I'm gonna participate in that. That's work, right? Yeah, yeah. And we take pictures by the signs. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got to have the photo op. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy rolls up out of the blue and pulls up, and he's, I don't know, about 50 feet away and just starts yelling at us. And I ignored it at first. And my brother calmly – just said, look, you got you got to go away, man. Just just go away, just, like let it go. And then he just starts yelling about um, us being being Hindus and being brown. Oh, you guys are terrible. He started relating me and my brother to the Hell's Angels. Uh, and I'm not saying anything about Hell's Angels. It's just he was right, <laughs> right. He was saying, you know, you guys are terrible people, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, what the f- what the hell is going on here? Right. So anyways, eventually he left after yelling and screaming. His wife got out for a bit, I think, to yell at us, but then realized there's four men there. And right. we weren't afra- and we weren't afraid. Like, you're not going to bully us. Mm. So we stepped up a little bit closer, and then they kind of went away. But as – and then then we de- I decided to pull out the – start taking a video of people's reaction. Right. And there's obviously my reaction, which is, you know, which is obvious. It's unfortunate. Um, it's – I obviously didn't appreciate it, but then I decided, Hey, what about these folks who've never had this? Seen that, them right. Yeah. So let's get, you know, the white people who probably haven't did this. And so it has to have, so haven't been through this. And so that's what we wanted to observe. So I started to observe them and their thoughts and their opinions. And wow, it was powerful. Uh, just the impact of them not going through this in very eloquently, but still passionate and upset. And so I think that's what, and then, I, and then I faded back to my brother because each of them said, this has never happened to me before. This has never happened to me before. Oh my God, what has happened? This has never happened before. And then I panned to my brother and he goes, it happens to me all the time. And that was that. And I said, yeah, this, it, it does happen. It happens a lot because, and we're used to it. We're used to just, it goes just like uh, water off a duck's back type of thing. So, uh, but so I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I think that was the most impactful thing when we actually sent it around. We put it on Twitter, obviously. Social media is huge in, in campaigns nowadays, as you oh, know. Massive, got it out yes. there. And I, all I said was a sad day in Saanich. Saanich, where people think it's very diverse, where it absolutely is not. It's diverse by population. is not diverse by uh, elected officials and representation. Not at all. And so we, um, so I think that's what kind of hit home. And people were, people were shocked, saddened, interested and curious about the reaction of the white people who this had happened to. And uh, I was glad we captured it. If, if you have time to watch it now, it's still, it's still it's a pretty. Oh yeah. No, I, I did watch it. And it was, it was very good. Uh, very good. I want to go into a little bit more though. <clears throat> One of the things that a lot of people come on here and say is that the thing they love most about Canada is the diversity, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's the, 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 the great different foods, the different cultures our openness to other cultures. But there's a there's a darker side to this. The people that are coming on here love that, but you've experienced that that's not always the case. So I want you to kind of like reflect on a why you think that is. Uh, we had uh, Senator Husakis on here, and he he says he thinks that it's because fundamentally there's the difference between fear and hope, 
right? Mm. And a lot of politicians will use fear. Those are basically the two tools you have as a politician. Either you can provide a vision and hope or you can scare people into voting for you. And he says most, the thing that people are most afraid of is things they don't understand or don't know. Uh, and that fear gets turned into hate and bitterness because it's a, it's a rejection of the unknown. But, I, but as someone who's actually, you know, experienced this in a very public way even, why do you think this happens? And then on top of that, what can everyone do, practically speaking, not posting on social media or whatever, but what, what can we do to be the country that so many people have come on this podcast and say they want and that they love? Um, feed the ignorance with education, the naivety that, that happens just to be around with any, any ethnic group, um, or any mainstream group. Like I need to learn more about, um, the Filipino society. I need to learn more about those who are Nigerian, who are now moving in, um, to Canada and being a part of my kid's school, which I would love to do, but where do you even find the time? Some people take that, take those immigrants coming in as as whoever that senator was as fear mm-hmm. and change is very very difficult and you're losing what you love the most you're losing canada when you see others coming in and taking it um there's a large large east asian population in my neighborhood i was sitting on the board of directors for one of the residents associations and somebody made a comment about oh they're taking all of our homes they are taking all of our homes right right um, and i was like, holy shit I go, and i and this this is what i said to this all white, uh, older uh, resident association. I said, hold on a second, because my suggestion was to bring someone um, Chinese onto the board of directors because it's it's it would actually offer. There's a minority group, and and they need to they, we need to hear what their thoughts are. And then someone goes, um, they're taking all of our homes in this area. And then I said, hold on a second. I said, is it is it because they're taking their homes? Um, or, or is there something else? So we had a bit of a conversation and then sort of light in the mood. I said, well, thank God we're not going to get another, another visible minority because I love being the token one around the table. Because <laughs> 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 oh, I don't, nice, want, I don't nice. want someone else calling no, around No, you're like, the, then my uniqueness is gone here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then what, then what am I? And it, it just silenced. And I got up and I left. And some of them came out and they started to apologize and what they said. I haven't gone back to the association. They came and they dropped off a card of apology and we want you back. But it is it is that fear of change. And and even those who are here now who may be Indo-Canadian or those who are now East Asian and what whoever whatever, whatever new different uh, immigrants may come in, they'll feel the same way. Right, right. Well, who are these people? What are they doing here? <laughs> so we have to educate, 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 and educate. And it's not just educate once, it's a constant change, right? And so you have to, you have to be flexible, you have to be nimble, and, 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 uh, and trust me, those, those who are of visible minorities or whatever descent they may be, Irish or European or whatever, they're resilient, right? Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, they you can they have- moved across the world to start to make a better life for themselves. They're not going <laughs> to yeah, – like this like, is one of the things can- that I absolutely hate actually is this whole idea that, that everyone's a victim. I'm like, have you met immigrants in this country? They are not, they're the furthest thing from victim. They, they did what basically no human ever does, right? Most humans are born, live, and die in the 100-kilometer radius of where they were born. Yeah. But then there's this group, this crazy group that we call Canadians. who are like, I'm going to go make a better life for myself in the frozen tundra. <laughs> like, from, I'm going to yeah, go. From, <laughs> from Africa. Yeah, 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 yeah right? Really, like, 
Like go, I, I challenge you to go right now and live in even Japan, where it's even a modern society. And this is not where they were coming. When they came here to, to the island, it was not a modern society back then. It was all resource-based, right? White, predominantly just white, didn't know anything. Go to Japan now, try to learn the language, try to, you know, try to get into their society and integrate and succeed. Like it's not, it's not easy. Ha- uh, yeah, no, no. And so, but Canada, it does offer, it does really offer that opening for people to do that. And so I guess I could see why, you know, people who were here originally – and I'm not talking indigenous people. I'm talking no. about people who took the land from yes. indigenous people. <laughs> right. and then right. Yeah. Um, they could, they would get a little upset with that. And, and I've seen it and I've lived it. I've heard it. And like life has changed. Like the public school, I, like remember I said, I kind of lived in a humble area and then we yeah. moved to this different area. So the, the elementary school that I moved to, Hillcrest Elementary School, um, the first day I was there, I had to stand up and say the Lord's Prayer. Right. Wow. What are you, grade five? What are you, 10? Yeah. 10. So I said no. And the teacher was like, Excuse me. There was one other brown kid in the room. And I look over to him, like, Hey, man, stick up for me. Because I had other colored friends where I came from. So I look at this kid and he just goes straight to the chalkboard, puts his head down. I'm like, What the hell? And so everyone else is sitting here staring at us. I'm not saying it. One, because I didn't know it. So I was right. being embarrassed, first off. Two, it's not my Lord. And not that I have anything against it. Of course I'd say it, but that's not how you just don't force a kid to start saying the Lord's Prayer. No, no. So I got in trouble, went home, dad yelled at me, mom, mom just kept, you know, mom really didn't bother. She was pretty upset by the whole thing. And and I've blocked out, I, someone asked me, what happened? Honestly, I've blocked it out completely. I know it was, I know it was upsetting. I know I said, no, I know I was 10 years old and I was, you know, defining myself at that age saying, no, I'm not doing this. I know it was a bit of a pain in the ass as a kid, but I think what happened was, this is what I remember is they just said, okay, can you just start it? And then you don't have to say the rest of it. Hmm. I said, fine. So you stood up, individual would stand up and say our father. And then I would say our father, the art in heaven. And then I know it, but I would just stop saying it. Um, and then they would continue on because I was taught in, I was taught Hinduism. I was taught a Sharma. I was taught our caste system. We are better than everybody else. I was taught that in my home. So who is this person trying to tell me to pray to another God? Right. I'm taught that I'm the best. So it wasn't because I felt I was a victim or anything. No, I no. was, I was better than them. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm not saying it. So and understand this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of us minority uh, individuals who do feel that way and trust it's still in their head. Yeah. And so I've had to learn to assimilate. I've had to learn to understand. I've had to learn to appreciate uh, Christianity, uh, Catholicism, other, other different religions, uh, Vietnam, Vietnamese. I had tons of Vietnamese friends. I dated a Portuguese Catholic girl, went to midnight mass many times. So I have that ability to love and understand. Does it mean that I'm changing my own beliefs and changing who I am? No. Right. But at least I can I can understand and live amongst others who are different. And so I don't understand why other people can't do that. So this is my confusion. And I can only put it back to education and just being ignorant and naive. And we're not we're not here to harm. People aren't here to harm. Uh, we're here to learn and understand. And and don't don't think that you don't think that you're learning someone's culture because you eat their food. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Learn <laughs> about it. Yeah. There's yeah. Several absolutely. Gods. There's Hinduism. There's several gods. I've got a, 
you know, I've got one tattooed on my back and he was, he was the protector of all other gods. So when, when I take my shirt off, people are like, what is that? And I have a conversation about who I am and where I come from and people, they're, they're just, they love it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the true conversation that I want to have. Not, not like, Hey, I went to uh Royal Tandoori yesterday. I had some great samosas. Uh, get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Exactly. Exactly. Let's have a real conversation. And if it's uncomfortable, let's make that uncomfortable. And, and again, we're not victims and we're resilient and, and we're not usually that fragile. As far as I know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'm not that fragile. And I love those conversations. So man, I really, we, really appreciated this, this conversation. This is, I'm, I hope that, uh, well, a, thank you for your service to this country. Uh, not enough people thank staffers for the insane sacrifice that they give. Right. Yeah. So you, and then, and then, putting your name on the ballot right? and uh and I loved what you said about coming back from India and kissing the ground and just loving this place and what oh, it what it has right. to offer it, I I say to Zach often my favorite Canadians are probably immigrants or second generation immigrants cuz they know what we have here they know how wonderful this place is compared to everywhere else in the world and that's what we need to preserve yeah travel travel a bit Go see what it's like. Yeah, you'll see back. what it's like. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to come back. You want to yeah. come back. That was my experience. Uh, my background is uh, touring with a band, and I've toured through uh, twenty. It's either twenty six or twenty seven countries. I can't remember which one it is anymore. Um, and that journey taught me that I live in the best one. Hands it, down, it's mm-hmm. the best one. Yeah, everywhere I <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. And and. You're right. It's it's great to have the opportunity to learn other people, learn other cultures, learn different ideas, but you learn all of that and then you realize you're still living in the best one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that just makes me a cocky Canadian, but I'm a cocky Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> right? but yet you know what? what? I'm thankful to... for what I have. We need to be hyping our boys more. Yeah. You know, I say this all the time. Like Canadian needs to be hyping itself more. It's a pretty great place. <laughs> yeah. But let's, let's stick to being kind. We don't need to be peacock at all. <laughs> <laughs> let the Americans be the Americans. Yeah. We'll let yeah. the Americans do that. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be the Canadians, but uh, yeah, we're truly blessed. It's great that you have this show and uh, you know, I, I wish you more success in getting some more, some more individuals. Yeah. Thank more, you. Uh, no, we, uh, we got Vincent uh, Guzzo on earlier, the Mr. Sunshine from Dragon's Den. He was on earlier today and yeah, nice. uh, Sarah Black, uh, Blackwood, who's the lead singer of Walk Off the Earth is coming on. This is, it, it's going well. We're, you know what? I say to Zach all the time. I'm like, we have the best job ever. No we just get to talk to interesting <laughs> people about what they love. Right, well, like, yeah. <laughs> In Canada, I do love Canada, man. Yeah, that's very true. And the politics, there's, there's a, there's a lot of folks I should be thanking um, for mentoring me and, and teaching me and all that. They, they all know who they are, but it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult world. But there's, you know, and as, as difficult as we said it was, and how they'll, they'll suck the blood out of you. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of support. There's a family there. It's a family, like a, you said. There's a lot of hate and a lot of love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like my house. I told you. I yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the CAD Story. That's the C A D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.